just a little info. You got my heart beating up tempo. You got my heart beating up tempo. You love got me beat. Five, four, three, two, one. What is up, everybody? You're tuning to another episode of Styles and Driss. And today is a special day. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be extra special, but it, now it's just special. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to have a surprise guest on the episode today. I think today's episode 47. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be none other than uh, Littlefoot. Yeah. But uh, thanks to the Minnesota weather, uh, it just didn't pan out. Yeah, that's true. So it was uh, it was actually kind of funny because I was getting a, well, it all started with him calling me yesterday, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yo, Delta canceled my flight." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'm not surprised." Yeah, he's like, "How's the weather over there?" I'm like, "That's shitty." Yeah, you know? and he's like, "Is it really that bad?" I'm like, "I mean, it's bad, but..." It's nothing that Minnesotans can't handle. Right. And he's like, can you send me, a, show me a video? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll show you a video. And he's like, holy shit, that's bad. I'm like, bro, this ain't shit, really. Yeah. Like, this is like, yeah, I mean, it's bad, but it's not crazy. Yeah. You know, like, obviously, I'm still outside walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it could be, could be worse and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um so he's like, yeah, my flight's canceled. They're going to figure out a way to get me on another flight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, hopefully they get you, like, on the next one. Yeah. And he's like, well, is it, uh, like, is it bad just flying over there? I'm like, it's not the matter of, it's not a matter of flying. It's a matter landing. of landing. <laughs> you know, because when you fly, you're flying above the clouds. Mm-hmm. So snow won't get you. Right. And airplanes, you know, they're they're built. Today, they're built to take on you know, a lot of treacherous weather. Yeah, extreme temperatures too. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you think about it, when you get up uh, over the clouds, it's super cold mm-hmm. up there. So, you know, and snowy and shit. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of landing, and is the landing strip going to be de-iced and, you know, all that fun stuff. So so he's like, okay, word. But, you know, he's still worried. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, dude, just, you'll be fine. You'll right. be all right. You know, don't worry about it. So the next morning, well, today rolls up. You know, I got I got up at like around six or seven, mm-hmm. and I'm texting. I'm like, "Hey, any update on your flight?" He's not texting me back. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And you know, he he's him and him and his wife, Lorelai, they're like on Vegas time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Meaning like they wake up at fucking uh, brunch, right? Because <laughs> they work such weird shifts, right? You know, it's an entertainment city. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like damn near blowing up his phone texting him because he'll at least text me back you know right. he'll at least wake up to something mm-hmm. um and i'm getting worried now because yeah. i'm like fuck okay what if they what if they uh rebooked his flight mm-hmm. to like the next time and then from there it's like something happened along on the way to the airport yeah like what if they got in a car accident like i'm starting to fucking worry like a parent you know yeah because i'm like well what the fuck because i text lorelei too and mm-hmm. she didn't respond i'm like oh shit you know, like, what's going on? Right. So I'm looking at the Delta flights. The first flight is obviously gone. That's canceled. The second mm-hmm. flight, the next few flights are fully booked. So I'm like, he's got to be on one of these flights. Mm-hmm. But he's not responding. Yeah. So he didn't respond up until the second to the last flight. Okay. All right. And he calls me. and He's like, dude, uh, I'm canceling it, mm-hmm. period. And I was like, what happened? He's like, well... The next flight that they can get me on is a flight for tomorrow, which flies me to Detroit for a three-hour layover, 
and then flies me to Minneapolis. Right. And my flight time is at 6 a.m., and I won't get to Minneapolis until like 4. Right. 4 p.m. Like, well, yeah, cancel the trip. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he has to go. He has to fly back Monday, right. Monday morning. I'm like, there's no point. Right. <clears throat> so, uh, basically, in a nutshell, fuck this weather. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're from Minnesota and you're listening to this, today was actually gorgeous in right. a sense. Like right. the snow melted on the freeways, uh, mostly in the inside roads. It was a nice day today. Yeah. Yeah, roads were uh, were actually like you could drive on the pavement again. Yeah. It wasn't like you were driving on like black ice or a bunch of like road slush or anything else like that. So Yeah, it's like it's as if we didn't I mean, you could tell we got a bunch of snow, but as it's as if we didn't really go through like a snowstorm. Right. So, damn this weather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, the um, the thing, too, is that um, it's it makes sense when you when you see other other cities and how they respond, like other uh, states and cities and stuff and how they respond. Like I was just talking to somebody and they were telling me, like, yeah, like we come from a, a cold climate or a colder climate. But if there's like you know, only a couple of inches of snow, everything shuts down. And I was like, word? And I was like, fuck, dude. It's like, we have it where it's got to be like a foot plus for Mm. people to really get concerned because most people can drive through it and, you know, plows are out there in the middle of the night, you know, just constantly like patrolling and, you know, keeping stuff uh, clear and everything. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, if you live in Colorado, I mean, they, they have you know, plows on standby all the time and shit because, you know, it's uh, mountainous areas. So most of the time, um, even if it's like, uh, like they're used to like it happening, just like, you know, a nice big wind takes, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, snow off of the top of a mountain and just coats a town. The entire town will just be covered, you know, like Boulder or someplace will just be like completely covered. And then by afternoon, it all melts and shit. And, um, so yeah, it's it's kind of funny how you like you see how other people navigate with this, but then of course, you know, when it comes down to flights and and things like that, that can be a, a whole another animal because you got like a slew of people that are in a place that's probably what I think like Vegas right now is probably in the 70s for their temperature and then all of a sudden go to some place where it's like, you know, maybe 32 or something and yeah, you're not going to be able to fucking see the tarmac once the the plane comes in for a landing so yeah they, they probably are just hedging their bets and yeah and shit so <clears throat> yeah and you know honestly i guess i can't really speak because i don't speak i don't work for the airline and you know i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not one of the guys that clears up the tarmac and, and everything right. like that and you know the landing strip mm-hmm. but i feel like there was it wasn't necessary for them to cancel foot's flight because mm-hmm. it was going to be arriving here at 11 a.m yeah and when I went out at 11 a.m., right, everything was cleared up, right. <laughs> and I'm assuming that that means like, you know, the the landing strips and tarmac and all that stuff was like cleared up as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the highway was nice, right. So I don't know. It, it's kind of weird to how it worked out, but or how that happened. But in a mm-hmm. sense, it worked out too yeah. because. I, uh, apparently somebody from the food network is going to be going to Foots restaurants, the okay. saffron. Yeah. And he's going to be missing that cause he's going to be here. Mm-hmm. So that worked out. And yeah. you know, t- for tomorrow, cause we were supposed to be, so first of all, foot was supposed to be coming out here cause we're supposed to be judging mm-hmm. an open style battle together. Yeah. 
um, on shout Sunday. Shout out to Cypherside. <clears throat> yeah, shout out to Cypherside. Congrats on the anniversary mm-hmm. to the showcase. So we were supposed to be judging one tomorrow, and uh, the funny thing about that situation is that it's completely sold out. Mm-hmm. Like they're not even taking like money at the door. Like it's completely sold out. Nobody can get in unless mm-hmm. you're a part of the event. Mm-hmm. So yesterday or on Thursday, Meng was like, "Fuck, dude, I want to go so bad." And I'm like, "Just hit up, hit up Lou. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. I mean, I don't know. You guys are tight. Maybe he'll let you in." Mm-hmm. You know, just tell him that you're part of the crew or whatever. He's like, yeah, I'll just talk to him. Because uh, Meng was actually there today mm-hmm. at their prelim battle. Okay. battle. <clears throat> so as soon as Foot said, oh, yeah, I'm canceling all my flights, and he explained the whole situation to me. Right. Right away, I'm like, okay, where I'm going to have Meng sub for you. Yeah. Because <laughs> Meng's the one who's like, I really want to go. Right. And stuff. I'm like, well, yeah. It wasn't going to make sense for me and Foot to judge this competition mm-hmm. because we're in the same crew. Right. So that would have came off as super biased to right. begin with. And now you got three dudes from three different crews. Mm-hmm. So it works out. Right. So I, I told, I texted Lou right away. I texted Meng. I was like, yo, Meng, uh, Foot's not going to make it. I'm going to have you judge for him. Or I'm going to suggest Lou to have you mm-hmm. judge. And he's like, word. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it kind of. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it, it, in a sense, it, it worked out even more because I was actually pretty busy today. Like, yeah. I was driving my mom all over and stuff like that. And, I mean, if Foot came in, my mom wouldn't have had a ride to to the clinic. You know, she uh, she broke her wrist, so mm-hmm. she wouldn't have had a ride to the clinic. She, um, it just would have been a whole mess, you know. And, and so... Yeah, so... uh so timing's interesting. I mean, you know, pick today for your mom to all of a sudden do elbow stack to hand hop to... <clears throat> yeah. You know, 90. And those wrist air chairs are crazy. And those wrist air chairs, yeah, so... So, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, that's that, that's always, like, uh, that's always fucked up, too, when, like, when you're, like, talking to people about, like, hey, how did... You know, how did someone get uh, injured or whatever? And it's like, you could, like, go, like, okay, it's something as stupid. It's like, I was going out to get the mail, and I fucking, you know, uh, like, tore my Achilles tendon or something. Or you're just like, oh, yeah, I was sessioning, you know, and I was, I was like, working on, like, some real fucking crazy power combo and shit. And, you know, just, yeah, fucking shoulder just went out, and or my leg just gave up on me. So, yeah, it's just like, yeah, there's, 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 there's always, like, the way that you can kind of, like, you know, fudge it, make it more uh, glorious. Otherwise, you're just, you know, keeping it a, uh, a buck and saying, like, yeah, yeah, it was just mom just, you know, moved one way when she should have moved the other, and all of a sudden, pop, you know, something broke, or, you know, dad went out to, you know, shovel, and he fucking took a tumble down the stairs and shit, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, speedy recovery to your mom, dude. I hope she's she's doing okay. Yeah, she'll be all right. She's, yeah. She has a splint in for, like, you know, a week. Okay. And she's still going to be traveling. She's going to San Francisco Monday morning, so. She's hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's only like a broken wrist. You yeah, know? I know. If it was walking, if it was a broken leg, then, yeah. That's yeah, then, story. of course, yeah, going to, like, yeah. the hilliest city in the United yeah. States. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm just glad it wasn't, it was, it could have been worse. Yeah. So, anyways. And Luna, she's just acting like an absolute nutbag today. Yeah, Turnstile's dog is here, so yeah. if you if you hear like 
you know, weeping. It's no, we don't have a, a woman kidnapped. We don't even kidnap a woman. We don't have her hostage here. It's, right. Luna, I mean, it's still a woman, but <laughs> Luna, you sit. it's a dog. Luna, speak. Say hi to the people. Speak. Speak. Come on. Speak. 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 Big girl voice. Come on, big girl. Big girl. Speak. Speak. What? 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 Come on. Talk. Woof. Maybe you need to grab a snack. Woof. Woof. There we go. Grab her a treat. Sadly, I don't have any treats. Oh. And I think Stepchild took, like, all of his uh, cat treats, so I can't even, like, get by with something like that. Unless, like, he's got some pepperoni or something in the fridge. Uh, you don't want to go in his fridge. No, I don't. I'm, <laughs> this is a goddamn science experiment in that fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For someone that does, that's rarely in here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what we've been doing, we've been recording the podcast here for, like, the last two months. Mm-hmm. And it's been the same exact dishes that yeah. have been in the, you know, in the sink. In the sink, yeah. So today, <laughs> I was like, you know what, fuck this. Yeah. Uh, the least I can do is do it is, uh, you know, do his dishes for him. Right. Since, <laughs> since it's like, dude. <laughs> we kind of, we kind of owe them anyway, because uh, when they uh, hosted us for the uh, the fight um, last, oh, yeah. was it last month or the month before? I think it was last month. Yeah. But yeah, when we came over um, and did like a kind of a... I mean, you would kind of say that was like a quasi Thanksgiving dinner as well, and you know we just chilled and ate yeah. and watched UFC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was the the Rose uh, Thug Rose fight. So, yeah, I'm so, yeah. so glad she won. Mm-hmm. I thought that um, uh, is it Whaley? Yeah, I thought that she was going to be a sore loser about the whole situation, mm-hmm. like about the you know, especially with the first time they fought. Yeah, you know, she was kind of a sore loser about mm-hmm. it. But this time, she actually accepted it. And, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's it was also, like, a little bit controversial just because of the fact that, uh, um, like, so Rose uh, Namayunez is from, I forget what part of Europe, if, if it's, if she's Lithuanian or... I think it's Lithuanian. I think it's Lithuania. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they have, like, a very, very specific attitude towards like any communist regime because, you know, they had been under mm-hmm. the Soviet Union for a long time until, you know, the um, the Soviet fell in uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. I think it was late 80s. Um, and so the, there's, like, a lot of people that still have, like, real super, like, raw feelings about that kind of shit. Sure. So <clears throat> then all of a sudden, you know, once, uh, like, um, like China and a few other places were getting on the scene and getting into the world stage – You'll have like a lot of Europeans, like Eastern Europeans and stuff, that are very vocal about that. They're just like, yeah, we're, you know, we're 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 gonna talk shit about you and all this other stuff. Um, and it's not to knock Whaley at all. Um, she's got a really really good work ethic. She's she trains hard. Uh, she's a good fighter and everything. So it's just that kind of that uh, that thing that you know people will do periodically where they just will say okay well i can't help but say some shit about this because same thing with like cubans right like cubans who live in the united states if you mention um castro to them they will like spit on the ground and throw salt over their, over their shoulder and you know say some sort of a uh, curse you know because they're just like yeah they are just not fans of castro and um and then you know you have like other people that like have lived here for their entire lives and maybe they've studied about like you know Cuba so they have like a very romantic idealistic view of 
you know, their government and how they do things and stuff. So they say, oh, yeah, you know, and they got, you know, tattoo of, like, Che Guevara on, like, one peck and then uh, fucking Castro on the other or some shit like that. And then there's, like, people that see that stuff and they get really pissed. Like, they'll look at you and they'll just be like, have you ever been to Cuba? And they're like, no, but, you know, and um, I'm, I, I like that, you know, that philosophy and this and this. And they're like, bro, you have to go out there and you have to experience, you know, what it's like to live in those types of conditions, then you can make that assessment. But in the meanwhile, don't be sitting here with like fucking tattoos of like Mao and Lenin and all this other shit on your back and and everything and, and idealizing all this stuff until you actually get all the facts. So yeah, it's, you know, it, it makes sense. Cause you know, there's, there's people that are very, very fiercely attached to like their independence and they, they love the U S because of that. Cause they can say, well, Hey man, you know, my parents had to get in a raft and, go across the Gulf in like shark infested waters just to get here. So that way I could decide what I want to be when I grow up, as opposed to like having it just carved out for me mm. or being like, sorry, man, no matter what, you know, the cast that you were born into in your country, that's what you're going to be. You're, you were born untouchable. You're going to be an untouchable until the day you die. But then it's like, people go, wait a minute. You're you tell me that I can like go to the U S or to Canada or this place or that place. And I could just be a doctor or a lawyer if I wanted to, or I could be a, a mogul, a multimillionaire or anything. And they're like, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing will stop you. You just go out there and you just go after it, you know? So they're like, fuck dude, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a trip when you see how people will like idealize some shit like that and romanticize it. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool watching that fight and just seeing how much they also had respect for each other. Cause like Rose didn't gloat. She didn't talk shit. You know, she wasn't doing like what, um, uh, what, uh, who was it? Joanna Joan Jacek, Joan Jacek, was like all like you know I'm the boogie woman and all that. And she would just talk all that mad shit and try to hype up the fight and stuff. Rose is just like Rose. Kind of reminds me of her attitude. Reminds me so much of like the Bay in this in the the sense that she's very just matter of fact about shit, you know. And she's like she's like a hippie mm-hmm. and like at heart she's just this big hippie. But at the same time, if you were to flex on her. She's just like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just put you to sleep then, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't fuck around with that. You, you think that, you know, because I'm all like peace and love and I got, you know, my Buddhist beads on and I just, you know, I meditate and I do yoga and all this other shit. You think that I'm just the person you can steal on. It's like, OK, well, let's get in the octagon and we can get down and you can see what I'm really made of. So, yeah, I, I really respect Rose for that. And I respect her, um, her attitude and the way that she conducts herself. She's a, she's a very good qualified champion. Like she embodies that just the same way that like George St. Pierre in my mind mm-hmm. is like the consummate champion. Yeah. You know, she's like, uh, she's a female version of George St. Pierre. Yeah. I mean, very much so. And, or, you know, George St. Pierre is a male version of her. Yeah. You know, and that's, <laughs> and, and, you know, and there's like a thing, there's a thing about like, you know, I know everybody likes it when you have, that person who's got that that mouth and that um, that gift of like being able to hype stuff up and Sell race tickets, entertaining. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and, and, and they they get to if they know that they're they're not pulling enough of a crowd, they'll play the heel and they'll talk mad shit and stuff. But after a while, you know, you start to see like you know the Conor McGregor's of the world, and it's like, yeah, he's he's an amazing draw, but when you watch how like Khabib just handled him, yeah, you're like. Oh, the, no, the, you don't under-fucking stand, dude. I mean, basically the way that Khabib handled him was sort of the way that you saw uh, Ivan Drago and 
Apollo Creed in Rocky Four, right? It was just like, oh, okay, yeah, this is not a game to me. So, you know, talk all your shit, do your dance, hype it up, you know, swing your swing your fist around in a big circle like you're like you know, like like you're the king of sting and whatnot. But I'm just gonna go ahead and just take you apart. And we see that a lot with like dancing too, you know, where there's like some people that are just very like like you talk all this mad shit and you're like, oh yeah, you know, because I'm a b-boy and this and this and this and, and the other person just keeps their mouth shut and they just wait. They just wait until the music starts and then they just fucking snap on you and you realize that you're like outclassed and you're like, shit, dude, yeah, this this person does not waste any time talking shit. They're just all about the business. So you got to respect that. 100. It makes me wonder with all these countries that are highly disciplined um, that have, more, you know, I like to call it, in my, I call it law and order mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with arts. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder if they genuinely love what they're doing. Yeah. Because, you know, it's been said that, and we've said it before too, that dancers out in Europe and, and in Asia are way more disciplined mm-hmm. and, um, than dancers here in the U S and North yeah. America, because, you know, the arts are funded by their governments over there. And the I think the mindset is if you're going to do something, then you're going to do it. Right. So it makes me wonder if how authentic they are mm-hmm. about what they do. Yeah. Or are they just doing it because it's logical? You I know? mean. Because <clears throat> here in America, we invent a lot of shit. Yeah. But we're such like a free-spirited driven country where it's like, if you want to do it, do it. If mm-hmm. you don't, you don't. Right. You know, like there's no pressure and, you know, to add the cherry on the top, your government doesn't support this shit. Right. So have and at it. I think it's, it's, it's like, and, and that seems to be the thing that a lot of um, people from outside of the U.S. seem to covet is they go, damn, you know, the Americans, they're, they're, they're so creative. They're always coming up with these incredible ideas, that, and they can freestyle. And you know, and have you, you've never danced honestly until you've gone to an American cipher, and then you know you've really like experienced you know a vibe and stuff. And then at the same time, it's like a lot of people that are objective in the U.S. Um, they also um, you know they, they they look at like the outside countries and say, man, if we could just like you know um, bottle and force feed that to our dancers here in the U.S., you would you just like churn out like all these monsters of dancers. They'd be people that would be able to, like at the drop of a hat, you know, be in like athletic condition, like a like an Olympic class athlete. But then at the same time, they could dance from the heart. They could perform. They could do choreography. They could be in a movie. They could they could do all these different things. So it's like so Americans. I think um, they um, we have that advantage where it's like we have the creative mindset. But, you know, yeah, because we have so many options, we can kind of be capsized by that. It's like going to a buffet, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a focal point in your mind where you say, okay, I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to gain muscle or I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to do that, you can just go there and they'll tell you like, well, whatever you want, taster's choice, pick pick whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So you kind of go, all right, well, it's a good idea to go back for like five helpings of ice cream, you know, because I can and no one's telling me that I can't do it. And uh, it's like... It, um, you ever see that the there was a movie uh, going back to like the Soviets? You ever see that movie that Robin Williams was in in, in the early '80s called uh, Moscow on the Hudson? No, no, it was a really good movie. 
and it's about this guy who plays saxophone in a traveling circus, and they get an opportunity to come to the United States to perform in New York, and I think they play in like Madison Square Garden, and he's got a buddy who's a clown who keeps like whispering to him like, I'm going to defect, I'm going to defect, watch, I'm going to defect. And and he's like, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. You're 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 gonna fuck us all over with this and stuff. And then there's a point where the saxophonist, who is like supposed to be like the most practical, he actually defects. Like he successfully, and he does it in like Bloomingdale's or someplace. And it, it's this really comical way that he like runs away from like the KGB um, liaisons and stuff that they have, and he defects. And then later on, he is at a grocery store for the first time and he goes into like this like almost um like this vertigo spiral because he sees like all this cereal and like toilet paper and all these things that are just there and he's like wait a minute i don't have to wait you know or like three times like around the block like there's just massive lines and cues just for anything you don't even know what it is you're like hey why is everybody lining up it could be shoes could be toilet paper we don't know and so now he's like in this place where he's got infinite options and he's like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And he just like passes out, <laughs> you know? And I think that sometimes, yeah, there, um, that, that's why it's like really important to have priorities and goals because then here we have the ability to be able to attain said goals, but you do have to have kind of a, a game plan and a, a bit of discipline. Otherwise what you can do is you could just walk around and just hope that something hits and maybe it does maybe it doesn't maybe you go your entire life where you never actually take a shot because you don't have to take a shot Mm -hmm. you know you kind of are born into like a life of privilege and you know sort of like a it's almost like you're mentally and emotionally like a trust fund kid right where you're just like i don't have to worry about money so what am i going to do i'm just going to go and hang out with a bunch of uh eccentric artists who like to do heroin in the east village or whatever and just you know piss away my my youth and my life and everything and then those people usually turn out you know spoiled or disaffected or they really get like chewed up by life and then you meet other people who are like again they they were just like yo i'm i'm in it to win it because my parents had to work super hard um maybe they came from ancestry where like you know their ancestors like survived something like you know the killing fields in like cambodia or you know the holocaust um you know, in Europe and they came over and they were like, okay, it's really important that I succeed because my grandparents or my great grandparents sacrificed so much just for me to be even in existence. So I'm going to take this lottery ticket and I'm going to fucking cash it, you know? And I think that like as dancers, we, we have a responsibility to kind of just keep that in perspective. So, I mean, don't, don't put unnecessary pressure on you where you feel like, you know, if you didn't become like a BC one, uh, champion, then, you know, your, you know, everything you did was just a waste. It's like, no, don't, don't think of it like that, but still like set up goals and have priorities and have discipline and respect and admire those people who do have that, like where, and you kind of see it, you know, in certain dancers where you're like, wow, man, if this person only had a bit more imagination and could think outside the box, they'd be just like a phenomenal dancer all around. But unfortunately they're more like, okay, I go and I practice footwork for like six hours every day, you know, and it's like, and you drill and you drill and you drill so they can dance for all damn day and all night. And, you know, but at the same time they might lack, you know, creativity and inspiration. 
And then you see that, you know, with like the people, um, house dancers who've come over from like Japan, like Hiro, um, you know, Hiro even said like that his, his dance got so much better when he came to the United States and started just, you know, going to New York and like, you know, um, just getting involved in the scenes as opposed to, you know, kind of living in a vacuum in Japan where it's like, yeah, everybody's disciplined and they have, you know, phenomenal technique and, you know, um, places that can fund and sponsor them to be able to do whatever they want to do. But at the same time, it's like, you know, coming out to like Texas or coming out to New York or coming out to the Bay and just like, you know, getting out there and networking and vibing with people, it, it does leave an imprint and an impact on you. And then all of a sudden you come back to Japan or come back to Korea or Taiwan or wherever you're from and people go, Oh my God, you're like five times the dancer you were when you left. What happened? What was different? And you're like, I just fucking ciphered with Khalif for like one day at Funkbox or something, you know? So yeah, I, I think that shit's really cool. And I, and I do, I do respect the, um, the, the discipline that people, um, overseas have. And, you know, I, I try to, I try to keep that as like a compass for me too to say like, okay, I can't just, you know, get by on the expectation that, you know, I'm talented enough to just do something. I, I do have to, if I really want to go for something, I have to put in hard work and a solid effort and take myself seriously, take the process seriously, be driven, but also have patience. And that's probably like the thing that we also lack in the United States too, as a, as a people is really like respecting the process and saying, you know what, if it takes me 10 years to get my black belt, so be it. You know, I, I just know that I'm going to get my black belt regardless. And usually when you're prepared to do that, you get your black belt a lot faster than you would if you kept like looking at the counting, like the, the grains that are falling through the hourglass. You're like, when am I going to get my black belt? I've been doing this for five years. It's like, you're going to get it when you stop fucking thinking about it and just train. And the next thing you know, one day it, it happens before you even can comprehend. And you're like, oh, I don't think I'm worthy for this. You know, and someone comes up and goes, hey, man, we're promoting you. You know, and and you were just like, why? And it's like, oh, you didn't notice that we like fed you like 10 black belts. You know, you went through this gauntlet and you passed with flying colors. And you're like, oh, man, that's a that's that, that's like a, a heavy, a heavy concept for me. I don't think I'm ready. And the person's like, well, that's exactly why you deserve the black belt, because you're so humble, even though you've gotten it. You, you think that you've like achieved this like superhero status. No, you're still you're still a beginner. Now you're a beginner as a black belt. You're a beginner as a, as a, like on your road to mastery of this, you've mastered all the basics. So yeah, man, it's, it's a trip, dude. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Perspective is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has perspective. It just comes down to what you do with it. Right. That's why traveling is important because mm-hmm. you need to get perspective from all different areas and angles. You can't right. just, get perspective from the comfort of your home. Yeah. You can, but that's not the only way it should be. It's mm-hmm. not how it should be done. Um, I think the world is going in into uh, into society where it, a lot of virtual reality is going to kick in, mm-hmm. and it's already kicking in. And I think it's amazing. I think it's great. You know, the thought of, well, I can be in Japan uh, right now if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I just have to put on my Oculus goggles. And, right boom, I'm in Japan. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you are you can see it, but can you feel it? Right. Can you smell it? Mm-hmm. Can you touch it? Right. Um, so that's why perspective is everything, and traveling 
physically going somewhere uh if if the world permits yeah you know because speaking of the pandemic if the world permits do it you know um do what you can to travel mm-hmm. and get that perspective yeah um gosh i totally forgot where i was going <laughs> There was like a couple of things I wanted to say, and then I just got lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I know, I know. It was it was like that just a couple of days ago. Where, um, and it's it's ironic because I actually know what I was going to say. Like just this conversation just brought it back to my mind. I was uh, talking with somebody, and we were discussing. Um, uh, we were kind of just discussing like dance related topics and stuff, and I was going to recall this situation where I was at my, um, uh, my college that I went to and there were, um, there's a, there's a former battle cat who was out there as part of the Cinco de Mayo celebration. And, um, he does, um, uh, like the Nahual, uh, danza, right? So he does like, like traditional Aztec dancing and, it was really funny having him kind of just like, again, perspective, right? It's like he was pointing out that a lot of the people that were there were celebrating more of like a of a, of a Spaniard's perspective of Cinco de Mayo, right? As opposed to native Mexican. And he was bringing up these points and talking about like indigenous dance and various cultures that exist in Mexico and um, uh, Central America and, and stuff like that. And, you know, and how people kind of choose to identify with, you know, one side or the other. And, and he was kind of just talking about like the nuance of that and how important that is, you know, to understand those those elements. And um, and yeah, like we when we get involved in dance or um like other art forms you know there's always like the superficial reason why you get into something you know it looks cool you want to meet girls or you know um somebody that you fancy goes to that practice session or you know you like the sensation of spinning on your head or whatever it's like it it might be something very basic that brings you to the dance but then it's kind of interesting because there's like almost like this like subconscious drive that pushes you that says you want to master something and you want to have like ownership of that thing. Um, and not like in a, an ex like in any kind of like exploitive type of way. Like you don't want to just get good at this so that way you can make a million dollars and be a backup dancer for Beyonce or some shit. But like you, you just want to be able to perfect yourself and like, and it's an impossible pursuit because no one can ever be perfect, but it's the, it's the path. That's, that's really where like all that gratification and satisfaction comes from. It's like, you know, you spent decades working on this and, um, I kind of, it, it kind of reminded me like when you, um, uh, put up that footage of the, uh, the 97, uh, B-Boy Olympics, um, earlier today, there was a hip hop Olympics or hip hop Olympics. Yeah. And, there's like, it was dope to watch people that I've danced with forever and that I've known forever and seeing them at like different levels. And you would see certain things that were just like incredible. And then you'd also say, oh my God, this person's human too. Because, 
you know, you see where they're at now or where they've been like in the last like 10 years or something. And maybe like the persona has always been like, yeah, this is the person that never falls that never trips that knows exactly what they're doing. And then you look back at like, you know, a time, a generation where, um, you know, having like your footwork in both directions and your tops had to be this way and everything. It was like, that wasn't a priority. And again, it goes back to pers- uh, perspective because it was like a lot of those dancers that were getting down were very creative. They were just doing like creative moves. And you're like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. I never thought about that move being done in that way. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, the creativity. And then there still hadn't been like the regimentation to say, okay, now I got to make sure that my my transitions from tops to go down to footwork to power freezes is all complete. It was like, they just went from like a to Z and they went right to the, the blow up or they went right to the, the power move. And it was interesting to see that. And not in like a, a not interesting, bad. It was like interesting, refreshing because then you kind of go like, yeah, we, we go back and we, we wind back the clock to like the, the first, you know, few generations of like breaking or other street dances and you say, yeah, they didn't have it perfected at that time, you know? And it's like nowadays, it's like you got motherfuckers that are like, you know, eight years old who are already like so complete of a dancer that if you were to put them into a time machine and send them back to like 78, they would just burn everybody. And you'd be like, holy shit, man, this this kid has got it all. So it's it's really cool when you understand how we're standing on the shoulders of giants and it really makes you um, respectful and um, uh, kind of makes you you feel like like this is cool that we're we keep driving this forward and the ancestors who came before us, even if they're like people that we've never met or or people that we know in our lifetime, but maybe they just started dancing like two decades before, they they brought something to the table and because of that now we're doing this and what we're doing now, which is considered normal back then, that was like the power move and only like one or two people could do that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like look at Pablo from uh, uh, Soul Control, right? Was it? Yeah, it was it was Pablo, right? Where he had, um, uh, what you calls it? Um, he had uh, he had like air tracks before, just about anybody else did, and mm-hmm. and he was able to hit those almost like they looked like swipes. Like he was able to stay in like one position. He didn't even do like the circulation around that most people see with air tracks where. They're kind of like in a glorified handstand going around in circles. It's like he could stay in one spot and basically his hands would just keep flipping like a, um, uh, like a, like it was like a recoil. And you were like, God damn, dude, even for like 97, 98, that, that was, that was just like so far ahead of it, of of its time. And then, you know, now you're starting to see, you know, kids in Japan who are like 11 who do that as like a warm up and like a basic drill and it's just fucking incredible so yeah so again it brings me back to the question is i wonder if they genuinely love what they do yeah like i'm talking about dancers overseas compared Mm -hmm. to dancers here i think dancers here you can you can definitely tell they love it because Mm -hmm. the fuck why are they wasting their time doing this shit they're not even going to make a living out of this or they're not going to make like it's the chance uh, an average dancer here in the U.S. and I'm talking about the street dancers, so mm-hmm. like, or club heads, so or club dancers, so like the house dancers, mm-hmm. the the b boys, b girls, and lockers and what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances are very slim for them to make a to make a really good living. Here. Yeah. Uh, right now, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it could change in the future. I don't know. Yeah. With technology ramping up, things anything's possible right now. But from from now or from a year ago, and um, and before that, it's it's a slim chance. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a formula to do it, but the issue is that there's only one formula. Yeah. And that's go to go to Hollywood, go mm-hmm. to California, be part of the dance industry, right? Or you know, the sub formulas go to Vegas or go mm-hmm. to New York or whatever. But you could tell they love it. Mm-hmm. The average dancer loves it because they just do it as a side thing. Yeah, you know. So it makes me wonder: Do these dancers overseas do they actually love it, or is it just logical to them, mm-hmm. or is it both? I don't know. I don't think we can answer that. Yeah. Like, I think it's stupid if we try to, mm-hmm. because we're not them. Right. But it's just a question. Yeah. I mean, if if I was to, to theorize, not like this isn't factual, this is just a guess being a, a person on this planet, I would almost think that based on a lot of these cultures, a lot of these societies, um, maybe it, it is something that's very gratifying for them because they don't get that in the conventional um, nine to five portion of their life. Like, I mean, case in point, like Korea, right? Korea is like a hyper disciplined, uh, country and society, right? I mean, Korean people are known for like, like, like my buddy, um, my boy Chol, uh, shout out to Chol. Um, when he first came over here to the U S and was going to school at, um, at my little podunk high school, he was in like the highest levels of math, and he was like, yeah, this is, this is all like basic arithmetic for me. And, um, what was so, such a trip about that was that he was like, well, in Korea, I'm considered like a D, like a, like a D plus student over there. Like I don't like, I'm considered a lazy fuck. Right. Which is so crazy because when he's over here, he was like super intense about his shit. Like I mean, even to the point where, like, I would come over and he would be, like, just studying. I'm like, what are you studying? And he's just like, oh, I'm just studying, you know, math or I'm, you know, doing this or I'm doing that. And I'm like, I'm like, why? And he goes, well, for fun. Like, I'm doing it just to, you know, stimulate my mind and everything. And um, I I wonder if those types of things, like that that creative expression and um, dance especially... It gives people in other countries and other societies that are very like hyper focused and like vigilant at like what they're doing. It gives them like a um, an excuse to like let loose, right? Mm-hmm. It's to say, okay, you know, now I get to, you know, I'm, you know, I was conscripted into the Korean military. I did my two years. I get out from like my service. I'm going to be going into college or going here or, good, or doing that with my life. My career is all set up, but I'm also a member of Gambler's Crew. And, you know, for two hours a day or maybe even more, like I get to dedicate myself just to this and I don't have to fucking think about the insurance company or the tech company that I work for or, you know, my realtor company or whatever it is that they're doing. So I I wonder, I mean, and again, I can't speak on it, but, you know, what I can do is like I can relate as a human being. And just thinking, like, putting myself in that position and saying, like, yeah, if I was in a place where it was just like, yeah, you, you know, everybody stands up when the teacher walks into class. Nobody sits down until the teacher tells you to. And, you know, everybody's wearing uniforms and, 
you study your ass off and you're just constantly just on the grind and you know and there's a lot of kids that are over there that like they put so much pressure on themselves that if they don't perform like if they can't like force their way into like the top three percent margin then it's like even if they were you know the fourth percent they consider that failure and i'm like wait a minute you're still like a like an a plus student you're just not everybody can be valedictorian or or what have you of like your your respective high school or college or whatever and it's like yeah but i i failed you know and you're like dude you mean that so it's incredible to see that something like dance or um different types of like um street sports like skateboarding and things like that can also be this creative outlet for people um to give them um some sort of a way to like find expression but i think you know? but you're talking about people that have a 9 to 5 mhm like a lot of these dancers overseas, they live. This is their nine to five. Yeah, I mean, you know, like so. That's my question. Right, is for the dancers that have a full blown career mm-hmm. where they're on salary yeah. from the government mm-hmm. or they're on salary from whatever whatever it is that where they practice eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like it makes me wonder if they genuinely love it. Yeah, that's my question. You know, like of course, I think that if someone. I mean, to me, when someone has a nine to five, that's like the American system. That's the American right. formula right there. Mm-hmm. You got a nine to five, and then you oh, by the way, I dance for like an hour or two mm-hmm. uh, out of my week right. just to express myself. Right? You know, like like that's the North American formula for that. How I see it. Uh-huh. But but yeah, for dancers that live this shit day to day, it makes me wonder. I had a little taste of it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, years ago, mm-hmm. and it was a show. It was when I was doing a show at the Cole Center. It was hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, with Jason. I took like a week and a half off from my nine to five, mm-hmm. and that was the time where we had to rehearse every single day. We had to go there, and I fucking hated it. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to do it. Right. I was like, "Fuck this!" I felt like a robot. Right. Like it, it was just, it just wasn't there. And then the whole idea of if you love what you do, it is no longer work. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> like like I, I'd rather, I'd rather separate the two. Right. And this is just me. I'd rather separate the two because there's a time to work mm-hmm. and then there's a time to play. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't know, maybe that's just the American model, mm-hmm. but fuck it. I'm American. I grew up here. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I think. So there's a time for play and there's a time for work. Can you have, can you do both? Sure. Why mm-hmm. not? But I don't get shit done if I try right. to do both. Like I have to do, I have to get this done. That way I can just breathe after that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think actually now that you, you mention it, um, I do see the, uh, kind of the, the dark side of the, of the coin in that regards to like going back to like citing Korea their entertainment industry is very, very similar to like the Disney model in the sense that, you know, you could be this kid who was shown as like having like some sort of, you know, uh, talent or, you know, you're like really, really gifted at something. And then at seven years old, they're just like, okay, so you're going to become the next Hannah Montana of Korea. Mm -hmm. And then after you go through like the entire, like you stay on, they, they like live in like dormitories and they grow up around each other, and then it's like, okay, so now you guys are going to go over here. You're going to be this boy band group. You girls are going to go over here and be this like all girl uh, pop group. And then there's going to be like the metal groups, and there's going to be this, and then there's going to be the 
you know, um, you know, hip hop fusion, you know, groups and all that other shit. Right. And, but it's like, you're completely dedicated to the machine at that point. So, and a lot of those people, um, crack under the pressure, you know, there, there've been like things where people have been like, um, they were deeply affected by like social media to the point where, you know, they've, they would talk about it. Like there was like famous, uh, Korean, uh, like K-pop stars and stuff who've like taken their own lives and shit because the pressure was just so great in combination with, you know, dealing with social media and especially if they try to speak from their heart and speak from like their mind and there it's like the, the industry is like, no, you don't do that. And then you either have to go back and like say, I'm sorry, I was dehydrated. I was confused. Um, everything is great. Everything is wonderful. Everything's perfect. Buy my new album. Da 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 da. And then there's like other people who are just like, if they fucked up, they flubbed a, a verse at a live show. Then they like they put themselves under you know the worst amount of uh, self criticism and pressure. So I imagine that yeah, that's that's got to be that kind of um, the same uh, the same thing that you know like we know about it through skateboarding through like Rodney Mullen and Tony Hawk. And how they were at that Olympic class level when everybody else was just, you know, competing for like 200 bucks. But these guys were just like, the, the, everybody else was just like, yo, I, I hope to just get second. Because if I get second, it's like I'm getting first because no one deserves to take your place. You, we just know that you're going to fucking get first on this. And that put those guys under a lot of pressure too. Because then, you know, they're no longer doing stuff just to, you know, kind of fight for you know, the possibility of winning. Now it's just like, don't lose, you know? And, and that can be, that can be very frustrating for people too. It can also ki- uh, kill your creativity because you get to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do my, my 900. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and the other. And then you get to a point where, you know, you're getting your trophies and your accolades and shit. And you're just like, yep, there you go. I, I won, you know? So yeah, I, I wonder too. I mean, I wonder if, if there are people that are like, that are fully um, sponsored, you know, patronized dancers in respective countries that look at it as if they are punching a, a time clock and going, all right, here we go, air flare time, you know, or if they are, are just like, dude, this is, this is incredible. I get to do this rather than have to be in the military or I get to do this rather than have to, you know, run my dad's business because I'm supposed to be like, the, you know, the heir apparent for this business, but I, I get to, you know, dance and live my dream so yeah that's that's a good question man i don't know i mean i I don't know like based on your experience with um the philippines if um if their industry is on that type of level too because i know like the like the the philippines kind of has like their equivalent of like the the k-pop or in in canto pop where like they have like their own um movies and um uh, dancers and singers and entertainers and stuff. So I wonder too, like how how they fare with that. If if it's the same kind of thing, or if, yeah, the same thing. But yeah. um, if you're in that industry, you're in that industry. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, the the stigma is you've got to go to you got to become a doctor or nurse. Yeah, you got to be do something in the medical field. Right, mainly a doctor or a nurse. At at least a pharmacist, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny to say at least. Mm-hmm. But one of the two. Otherwise, yeah, okay, go uh, go do go into the industry, go mm-hmm. into the entertainment industry. Yeah, um, it's not easy mm-hmm. for Filipinos out there to get into the entertainment industry, especially if you were born there. It's easy for me to mm-hmm. do it because I'm American, right? 
you know, I just have to polish up on my Tagalog and then boom, like I'm, I'm famous because I'm from here. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there was a time to where my mom asked me if I wanted to get famous in the Philippines Mm -hmm. because it's, it's that fucking easy for me to do it. Uh, but I was, she was like, you know, I just warn you that with, with fame, it's going to come a lot of scrutiny Mm -hmm. and the, and the, um, the Asian entertainment business is way worse than the American, yeah. American entertainment business. Because in the U.S., there's just so many. In the Philippines, there's there's a lot, but then there's also you, mm-hmm. you know. And you were born here in the states, so you automatically bring a lot of value, and you mm-hmm. automatically have a lot of pressure because your English is good, mm-hmm. and your Tagalog isn't that great, but it will get good because it has to mm-hmm. and stuff. And you dance, right? Like it's. And your middle name, your middle name is prestige middle name here in the Philippines because mm-hmm. the politicians. So it's like you have a lot of pressure, but you can easily be get famous if you want. So just let me know if you want to get famous. <laughs> like, yeah, nah, I'm good. And it, it's like the uh, like heavy weigh the crown, right? It's like you you go into that and you have to ask yourself, am I prepared to completely give up my privacy and my my freedom, my ability to just go down the street to a Seven Eleven and you know, get a packet of chips at like three o'clock in the morning. It's like, you're not going to be able to do that from henceforth. Right. You're going to have to have, you know, runners and gophers that go out and they get you shit. And you're like, Oh, I really want a burger. And it's like, okay. Um, you know, can I have it delivered? And you're like, well, I actually feel like going out and getting a burger. It's like, all right, well, we're going to send security out there first. We're going to clear out the McDonald's. We're going to shut it down for an hour. And then you're going to go in there. And of course there's going to be, camera people and everyone's going to stand there and they're going to watch you and you're going to be sitting there by yourself or maybe with like your small clique of friends and you get to kind of almost it's almost like a simulation of having a normal life and it's like yeah that that also i think probably just weighs on people and they just they get down to like where they go okay you know the only thing that's keeping me in it now is the money mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it's like and maybe the privilege of you know being able to live in you know a really really like baller ass crib you know, in this part of town and not have to worry about, you know, um, you know, possibly being kidnapped or anything else. Cause I've got, you know, I live in a gated community with like, you know, special forces that protect the area and all that kind of shit. You I know? think that's the only reason why, um, why famous people have, I think they don't have an option. I think they have to live in a gated yeah. community because mm-hmm. they can get assassinated. Yeah. Like they have to have the big ass house. Right. Um, as opposed to like those low key wealthy individuals, mm-hmm. like they don't have to, they just want to, yeah, you know. But I think if if you're famous, man, like yeah, you need all the security you can get mm-hmm. and stuff. And there's there's a price to pay for everything, yeah. So it's 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 really it comes down to pick your poison, right? Because everything is poisonous. Mm-hmm. Every too much of everything is is bad for you. Too much yeah. of anything is bad for you. So pick your poison and. um you know, use it with moderation. Yeah. And, and I think that's like the key, uh, the key word there. It's just like, you know, what we learn in dance, um, the superior dancer doesn't, is not always just like powerful, but the person who's got like the best amount of balance, you know, like physically as well as like mentally and emotionally, it's like you, you watch that person dance and you notice that every move that they do is effortless. And it's because they've mastered the art of walking the tightrope. Whereas somebody else is like really good at being able to like, you know, jump straight up and do a double backflip, but their landing is always shaky. 
mm-hmm. because they haven't like focused on the the essentials, you know. And and I think that like having balance, whether it's like fame or fortune or you know prestige or any of these other things, it also comes down to the kinds of people that you surround yourself with. Um, sometimes people will even say they go, "I don't get this. Why?" You know, like when you watch like Entourage, right? You're like, why does Vincent Vincent Chase have these guys from the block, from Queens? You know, his brother, who you know is kind of a a, a fallen star, and you know his his gopher turtle and um, and his boy E, and it's like because these are the these are the people that keep him grounded. Well, he these people he trusts. Yeah, he grew up with them. Right, because well, yeah, because it's like it's like at the at the end of the day. Anybody that's getting paid is going to tell you whatever the fuck you want to hear. Yeah. They're like, yo, we need you in Aquaman too. So, yeah, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear um, so that way you just do the damn movie and make that, you know, $60 million uh, payday and all that other shit. Whereas, like, somebody else will, like, look and go, yeah, the script sucks and this is stupid and they, they want you to do this. No, nah, man, that's, that's not you. Mm-hmm. You're not that person. And then... You know, when people kind of believe their own legend, that can also be very problematic. You know, there there are like times where you want to do the touchdown dance before you even get in the fucking end zone, mm-hmm. and it's like the ball hasn't even been put in play yet. So, oh, you that, know, that shit will bite you. Yep, big time. It's already it's happened to me a few times already. Where mm-hmm. uh, I've talked about some deals, some big deals that I had going on and at work, and then mm-hmm. they fucking fell through. Right, and the lesson that I hope I've already learned and I hope I'm not going to continue to learn is don't talk about your deals until it fully happens until the check clears. Yeah. Until right. it fully happens. Cause yep. the universe can play some fun tricks on you. Yeah. You know, and anyways, and it, it, it it's, um, I think that, you know, that that's part of the reason why dance has such a great, um, allure as well, because, Again, we're we're doing something that once upon a time was just purely social, and then eventually it started to evolve into a place where people can have careers. People can, and they can also use it as a bridge to go into other things. I mean, how many people started off as like top class uh, breakers that turned around and became you know YouTube fitness personalities, you know, mm-hmm. teaching like personal training and all this shit because they're like, oh yeah, you know, I I used to do all this stuff in breaking. And then I realized that that's got a limited shelf life. I can only do that for so long and I can only beat up my body for so long. So I got real big into like prehab rehab training and like stretching and yoga and calisthenics. And then they've kind of fallen into another lane. And that's, and that's the cool shit is like you were saying about like, you know, getting paid to dance and having like that sponsorship. And then it starts to become like a, like, like work. Whereas you kind of go, okay, so what? How can I adapt if I can't be on the top of the mountain with every every other Red Bull BC One champion or you know Battle of the Year winner or people in movies or people in commercials and what have you? And you go, oh, okay, I can do you know personal training or I can do um, like uh, like what's his name from uh, from Texas, uh, Zession. Zession's a, a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you can, you know, and, and part of that I imagine is also because it's like you, you do so much with the human body that you're like, it'd be really cool to like learn how to like treat the human body as well. It's like, I know how to do this, like, like through dance and stuff. So I go ahead and I am sitting there like doing so, uh, soldier, 
um, shoulder surgery for somebody who like, you know, tore their rotator cuff. And it's like, and I know what it's like because I've had a torn rotator cuff or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of cool how like that can inspire you to want to go down um, different avenues that maybe you didn't think breaking or popping or locking or any other dance style would have put you on to. You know, or, or getting involved in like the music industry. You're like, oh, all I ever did was dance to music. And then I listen to music and I love music. So I want to know how to make it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I always think that dancers, uh, that people that dance and that I've done it as like a semi-professional or whatever, I always think that they have an upper advantage when it comes down to music. You know, especially if they're going to go into producing mm-hmm. because they understand the rhythms and everything like that. I mean, right. like they, they physically understand it. They don't just... They don't just like mentally mm-hmm. understand. They physically understand that shit. Yeah. And um, you know, this isn't to like nag on anyone and any producer or DJ that doesn't dance, mm-hmm. but I mean, come on, man. You know, if you're playing dance music and if you're producing dance music, shouldn't you know how to dance? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But you see that like too with like uh oftentimes um directors who've only ever directed versus an actor who becomes a director. Yeah. Right. It's like now they know how to talk to actors mm-hmm. and they understand the the process. Um, some directors actually, you know, came from something like a theater background. So maybe they never, they were never on the, the silver screen, but they, they did, you know, off Broadway or Broadway plays or this or that for like a number of years. And then finally they get the opportunity to get behind the camera and they really find their, their, um, their their passion is there and they go i love orchestrating all of this and i can talk to these actors and tell them you know what i want from the performance and what the script talks about and x y and z and stuff and um and then yeah and then there's people who are just like raw talent that also surprise people too right they're just like you know i always cite um people like uh kevin smith and uh, quentin tarantino because their their film education was just movies they just love movies. They love them so much that they just decided, okay, I want to, I want to give it a shot. I want to try to make this on my own, you know? And that is, um, sometimes that's enough. Other people, you know, they, they go to film school and, you know, they made an, or not an independent film, but they made like a student film and they did all this stuff and they still can't break into the industry. And part of the reason why, again, is like they, they, they're, they're playing, completely by the rules but they still lack the drive and the imagination that dreamers have you know sometimes dreamers are the most impressive because they look at everybody doing this move or this this thing one way and they go but what about if you like flip it this way and people are like no you can't do that you know james brown was told that you know he was violating every fucking law that music had set up They're like you can't you can't audibly call changes in time signatures in these songs it's like if you're going to do a 4-4 beat you got to go from beginning to end of the song in a 4-4 beat and he decides to change the time signature and then he wants to add a bridge where you're not supposed to add a bridge and then he adds a chorus here and then he's got a call and response and it's like you know he takes like all these elements from like gospel and jazz and rhythm and blues and like even like rock and like puts them all into something that's inherently him and then that's why James Brown will always play and sound like James Brown. It was like, you never listened to a James Brown record and said, Oh wow, this kind of sounds like the Beatles or this kind of sounds like, 
you know, um, Bo Diddley or this person or that person. It's like, no, everything that James did sounded like James. And especially as he really fell into like his own, because it's like, you know, his earlier stuff was a little bit more on the, the R and B kind of crooner, um, uh, trajectory. And then James just goes, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not being my honest, uh, to God's self here. And then he was just like, fuck it. And he just changed it. He starts talking to Bobby Bird, you know, on, on the record or Maceo and like telling Maceo to take him to the bridge. And you're just like, Oh my fucking God, dude. You know? So I think that like we, we all have it in us to do, but not everybody necessarily has the, uh, the vision or the courage to pursue that. Yeah. Just talk, talk, talk. Right. Um, what was I going to say again? Uh, yeah. So, how you mentioned with James, the whole James Brown example that you gave. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I teach, it kind of reminds me of like sometimes how I teach. Mm-hmm. It's actually not sometimes. I teach this shit all the time. Yeah. That when I'm teaching someone basics, I make it clear to them that, look, these are just, this is just the standard technique. Right. But, you know, I want you to look like this, mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to have to unlearn that and break out of that. Right. And find different ways. So don't be, don't worry if, you know, the way you do the shuffle, if your foot isn't in the back Mm -hmm. for now, yeah, worry about it. But, you know, if you have that habit of more so putting on the side than the Mm -hmm. back, that's fine, you know, because eventually that's going to become your own style. Right. You know, and it's, uh, yeah, I think when people put limitations on dance, it's just the funniest shit ever. Right. Um, Also... I do want to point this out because I feel like I've been teaching a lot of steps lately. Mm-hmm. Actually, I teach steps all the time. Yeah. But, and this is for anyone that's, for everyone that's listening to this, if mm-hmm. you ever learn from me, do not expect to get a move in just one session yeah. or in just one class. Right. Like, I literally tell everyone this. Right. Like, if you want this move bad, mm-hmm. don't just fucking practice it here. Fucking practice it at home. Right. Practice it, practice it at home, practice it at work, you know, just practice on it. Don't right. just expect to get it here. Don't just say, Hey, today is session. I'm going to work on this. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's fine. But it, I mean, it's either, it's either you don't get buttered if you don't get it right, right then and there within those like two hours that we have at session, mm-hmm. you know, or within that one hour that we have in class. Right. Fucking practice it outside of this. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's just a random little outburst that i just had because <laughs> i mean it's fucking annoying sometimes <laughs> i can relate to that a thousand percent because of the fact that um i like you know especially like when i sub for your class um i know that sometimes i can kind of see the expression in people's faces or in their eyes where they're like okay these are all like lofty principles but i was hoping for a technique i i wanted to learn a move today and i'm like yeah i'm not going to teach you a move. I'm like, cause Ozzy has that unlock. It's, it's kind of like, I always thought about it. Like, you know how, um, when we were in like elementary school, you would have like your main teacher would, you know, have like the entire schedule, like on the chalkboard or the, the dry erase board. And it'd be like, you got this, 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 and then you have like gym, right? You don't have gym with your, your class teacher. You have gym with, you know, Mr. Or Mrs. So-and-so, in the gymnasium. And then for that, you know, hour or half hour or whatever it is, you know, you're doing something completely like different. Right. And then you go back to 
all your fundamentals with that teacher again. And um, so I'm always like very apprehensive about, you know, trying to show somebody unless like somebody actually like stops me and says, Hey, you know, turnstile, I was wondering like after class, can you show me how to do the scribble foot? Or can you show me how to do like your version of the loose legs, the way that you do it, because you do it a little bit different than Ozzy does it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh sure. Okay. I'll, I'll show you to, to the best of my ability. And, um, but I, you know, I, I like subbing on your class because, um, one thing that, that really uh, is funny is that like, um, I'll see, you know, like the, the classes are never consistent. It's never like, okay, everybody that was here this last time is going to be here the next time. It, it's like, it's a mixed bag. Sometimes it'll be people that I don't know at all. And mm-hmm. then there'll be other times where it's like everybody that I know is, is all there. So I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So we don't have to work on the basics or the fundamentals. We can move on to some more advanced shit. But what I, what I see that's real funny is like when, after we get done with the warm up, and I'll be like, all right, everybody circle up. And it's kind of like, you know, it's almost like you're like turning on the bath water and you're getting ready to like take the dog and bring the dog over to the, the tub. And the dog's like, oh no, you know, and they just get real like, you know, apprehensive and stuff. And I, I just, I see people that will just kind of get timid and go like, all right, what are we doing? I'm like we're going to cipher. And, you know, and what I like to do is I like to have people go around and I might pick a concept that we're going to work on. As opposed to like teaching you some bullshit technique, I'm like, you know, if you want to, if you want to go and take someone's workshop where they're going to say, I'm going to teach a master class on the Dodger, you know, where it's like everybody has to have the Dodger in order to start, but I'm going to show you variations and I'm going to show you different time signatures and this and that, then, you know, have at it. But like in this case, I'm, I'm trying to like also encourage people to say, okay, well, this is a social dance. So we need to treat it socially. We need to look at each other. We need to dance in a circle, not in, you know, rank and file. And we're not going to sit there and just, you know, fluff ourselves looking in the mirror and just, you know, adore what we're doing or detest what we're doing. It's like, we're going to look at everybody else and we're going to respond not only to the music, but also to other people's participation and, and, um, 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 expressions. Cause you know, you might do something where you think you suck, but then everybody else in the circle approves. Mm-hmm. And you go, damn, okay, I, I thought that what I was doing was whack. It's like, no, people like what you did. It's just that you're you're too caught up in your own yeah. perspective. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's it, it's I, I think that like all those things are, are very important to to utilize because we we get too caught up in like you know going back and saying like, all right, well, I can't read the novel for myself because I'm too busy focusing on perfecting my ABCs. And it's like, but you already know your ABCs like by heart. And it's like, yeah, but I, I really got to make this A perfect. Like almost like they're focusing on the calligraphy of it mm-hmm. rather than just like, I'm like, yo, just pick up the newspaper and start reading. Right. You know, or just grab a novel and start reading these people's ideas because you get the gist of it. You don't have to go back and say, but I, I have to like master, you know, how the letter B is drawn. And right. Because all, all you end up doing at that point is you kind of like, you derail yourself in the pursuit of, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get like the, the technique rather than just embracing the expression of dance. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it just comes down with the instructor. Yeah. Just know who you're going to learn from. Right. Um, and class, I say that the times that you should be worried about what is this move called, or you should remember how to teach a move 
is if you're going to teach. Yeah. But if you're just a dancer, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Right. You know, you're just here to do your thing, just here to dance. Yeah. But if you're going to teach, if you're going to suffer me, you better know your fucking shit. Right. You know, and if you don't, shame on you. You know what I mean? Like, or <laughs> shame on you for not fucking asking me mm-hmm. how to do something or not right. getting clarification, which you do a lot. You get a lot yeah. of clarification from me, which is yeah. good. But if you don't, I'm like, let me smack you upside the head real quick. <laughs> and and also, if if you're going to ask somebody about how to do something, then also um, have the humility to be able to embrace any kind of criticism. Well, yeah. Because that's another big problem that I find when it comes down to like the, the clash of um, personalities and stuff. It's like, for, for instance... Um, it, in what we do, this isn't like school where there's actually people who have degrees in this and say, okay, well, you know what? I've got a double doctorate in house dancing 101, so you have to respect me and listen to me. It's a lot more opinion-based because it's like you could be somebody who just doesn't know who the fuck Jardy or Khalif or any, any of these people are, and you see them for the first time, and then they point out that you're doing something incorrectly, and you go... Who the fuck are you to tell me? I'm just dancing. I'm just expressing and living my best life and blah, blah, blah and stuff. And it's like, but you came to them first and said, hey, can you show me how to do said move? And they said, okay, well, show me what you know. And you show and then they go, okay, what was that? And you're like, oh, that's that's my my loose legs or that's my skate. It's like, you need to go back and improve that. Here, I'm going to show you, copy me. And then that person at that point has to make the decision. They either, um, you know, if you're going to throw them a bone, then, you know, I don't want to know how it fucking tastes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to tell you flat out, like you said, hey, how do I improve this? And then I tell you. Same thing like I've had with people who um, have wanted me to help with their locking. And um, it's kind of like, I don't want to lie to you and just agree that because of the fact that you're here and you're locking, that you automatically are just going to be dope, Right. It's like I'll I'll sit there and I'll say it to some people. And some people, it's like you weigh out how everybody's personality is. I'm like, this person knows. This is like a Minnesota Joe type where it's like if you say, do this, they will go home and fucking work on it for like a month and then come back and go, yo, check it out, Styles. And then they go, so how does, how does this look? And you're like, yo, that, that improved a lot. Your, your, your skills have definitely increased. And you listened to what I told you. And it's not... You didn't do it for me. You did it for yourself. You were like, okay, somebody who actually can have an outside perspective that maybe has this technique down is showing me and and telling me what to do. And then I take it home and I I work on it. So then, of course, they turn around and they say, oh, yeah, you know, Styles, you thank you for, you know, making me a better dancer. And I'm like, you made you a better dancer. Mm. It's like, thank you for having discipline and humility and also not accepting just simply being like happy with maybe your talent, mm-hmm. you know, that that's really what skill is. Skill is the merging of talent with discipline, right? As opposed to like, if you're just a talented dancer, you might be like naturally good at this, but you definitely can't do that for, you know, several rounds in a competition because you don't have the stamina. You don't have, you know, Oh, you haven't that, trained in that way. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and the same thing with like when, uh, when we were working at um, on Thursday sessions and, you know, you go ahead and you put me on the anvil and 
you basically are, are just like, all right, man, you know, we're, we're going to go after it. You, you ready? And I'm like, whether I am or not, fuck it. We're, we're going into the deep end. So whatever I got to do. And you're like, all right, all the way out to the end of the studio, back level change, mid level, come back lower. Yeah. Come back. Well, yeah, what I liked about how, how you were, how you reacted to that is that you didn't question anything I fucking said. And, and <laughs> because I was like, uh, no, which is good, you know, yeah. because when, when, when I do tend to train people, they're like, why, why does I have to do this? I'm like, don't fucking ask me questions. Just do it. Right. Just fucking do it. Right. Like, trust me. Right. Trust the process. It's yeah. going to come, it's going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I had to fucking do. Right. I didn't win anything mm-hmm. yet in house, but mm-hmm. this is what I had to do to, in order to like stay up to par and to right. make sure that I represented myself correctly. Right. You know, like. And, and then that's why it's like even, you know, like you, you brought up a very valid point, which is um, how many, you know, championship titles, how many, you know, gold belts have you brought home? None. Versus like how many places do you go to where everybody knows you and everybody respects you? It's like that shit to me is priceless. That shit to me is incredible that it's like I could go to fucking Phoenix and all of a sudden – you know, I'm just out at some random ass club and someone says, oh, you're from Minnesota and you know Ozzy Driss? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course I know him. He's my crewmate. He owes me eight bucks. And and they're just like, holy shit. Okay, well, come with us. You know, um, we're going to go session tomorrow um, at this place or something like that. And it's like, th- that's something that I know a lot of people have titles and all they do is like they, they fly in, they go to their hotel, they go to the competition, they come back to their hotel, they fly out. Yeah, and they're they're not connected to the scene at all, and it's like so that's something I've always admired and respected about you tenfold. Same way with like Stepchild, right? Stepchild, Stepchild knows everybody, yeah, and everybody seems to know Step. Yeah. I mean, so much so that motherfuckers get it twisted whenever he comes back out to New York, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so you know, I haven't seen you around lately," and you're like, "Why would you? I live in Minnesota," <laughs> yeah. and they're like, "Oh, I thought you lived in Brooklyn because I would see you at like every goddamn jam that's over here." You know, and he's just like, yeah, you know, but I live in Minnesota, but I fly out to New York as much as, you know, you know, like a, a lawyer or somebody would, you know. So, and and yeah, man, it's like, for me, um, I've, because of my, my training background in martial arts, um, the only thing that I question is motivation, right? Mm-hmm. And intention. So like, for instance, if, I'm out at a, at some place and let's say like, a, you know, I, I go to like, a, I don't know, like some studio or something and it's like an open gym. And then all of a sudden, you know, some um, black belt walks up and they got their, you know, their, their thumbs tucked in their black belt. And they're like looking at me and I'm like, you know, hitting the heavy bag or whatever. And they go, hey, yeah, how you doing, buddy? Da, 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 da. And they start chatting me up. It's like immediately I, I start to ask myself, OK, is this person recruiting? Are they trying to get students? So they're going to say, oh, yeah, you got a really good overhand right. You should be a fighter. You know what? In fact, I train fighters. Here's my card. You know, and you kind of go, okay, you know, I'm I'm picking up on the, the tells and the signs. But when I step to, to the teacher, it's like the teacher shouldn't have to, like, go out and find the students. The students, again, like, they, like they, the old saying about, you know, when the student is ready, the master appears, right? They happen to pop up in your radar. And you go... Oh my God, this person's got incredible footwork. I need to take a class or take their workshop or I need to cipher with them. I need to talk to them. I need to ask them like how they do this or 
what's their creative process or like how do they train or what have you. And when they step to you, it's easier because now whatever it is, like they've, they've emptied their cup. So now they're susceptible to the knowledge that you can give them. They're going to be able to metabolize it. But again, you know, um, when the person doesn't empty their cup, you run into this problem. And I see this all the time where people go, yo, I really want to do this. I really want to do that. And I'm like, and what are you doing to pursue that? Well, you know, um, you know, I'm trying to like, just, you know, think about it and stuff. And I'm like, that's where you're already failing. You're, you're thinking about doing it. You're not actually doing it. I'm, I'm like, you know, thinking about going to New York and actually just going, oh shit, I just charged money on my, my plastic and I'm, I'm going to New York like mm. in a week, you know? So I, I better I, get ready. I love those, those, um, oh yeah, I really want to do this or I'm thinking about doing that. Yeah. Cause my answer and you've heard my answer before. Yeah. All right, do it. Yeah. <laughs> like what else do you want me to say, man? Right. And, and I think that it's, it's understandable because, you know, especially like in the world, it's so great and easy to be able to like sit down and just, you know, be the, uh, what is it like the Monday morning armchair quarterback, you know, at the office talking about like, Oh yeah, you see the game last night. Well, I think so-and-so was kind of like lagging in, uh, on the defensive line, but this and this and blah, 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 blah. Right. And then there's that one guy that kind of like pushes his way past everybody at the water cooler and he goes and he fills up his water and everyone's like, who's that? And it's just like, Oh yeah, that guy's a fucking psychopath. He goes and he like runs up and down the stairs all day and you know, he doesn't talk to anybody in the office and it's because that person actually plays the game. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, I, I don't have time to sit here and circle jerk with you motherfuckers because, you know, I'm actually doing it. I'm actually pursuing it. The thing that you guys talk about and you guys aspire, you know, and it doesn't matter. It could be like movies too, you know, and motherfuckers will just be like, you know, oh, that person, you know, they, they get it twisted in martial arts. We talk about it all the time where people are like, oh, yeah, did you watch that uh, that IP man? You know, and I'm like, oh, Yipman. <laughs> I'm like, you don't even fucking know how to say it. I'm like, they only said his name oh throughout the entire gosh. movie, yeah. but they read the box and they think, that, okay, it's called IP Man. I'm like, they never once said IP Man the entire goddamn movie. They're like, yeah, Donnie Yen, he fights uh, Mike Tyson in this one, and I'm like, he doesn't fight Mike Tyson. They're doing choreography. This is drama. There's there's action. There's all this other shit. It's like, and in real life. If Mike Tyson was to hit Donnie Yen, he wouldn't be here anymore. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Donnie Yen, for everything that he does, he's a bad motherfucker, but even he will say it. Mm-hmm. He'll be the first person to tell you. Like, he'll be like, dude, if if Mike Tyson hit me, that would basically, like, he'd punch me in my chest and my back would break. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and when people want to get together and just, like, you know, philosophize about it all the time... Um, I get it because it's like you're passionate about it. It's something that you're interested in. You really like that. But when you decide to come to the jujitsu academy and you'd rather talk about a movie about jujitsu than get on the mat, yeah, you know, you've already wasted everybody's time, including your own. You've mm-hmm. stifled your own progress. And, um, you know, there's there's also like certain times where you can pick your spot, right? Like I've had great conversations with people where it's like, you know, a what if thing. Or, you know, this or that. And um, it's kind of cool when you see different sides of dancers, especially, as opposed to just, like, only talking about shop. And saying, like, okay, let's talk about breaking, because we're at a breaking event. 
this is a very famous uh, b-boy or b-girl or you know house dancer or this person or that person and you know we're just going to talk about dance all the time and then there's like other times where shit you know case in point when i talked to remind and uh he got all stoked about um uh comic books and he's uh he's a comic book fan and i was and this was this was like years before the movie logan came out so i was talking about the actual comic called old man logan and he was just like all in it was so funny to see remind you know like probably one of you know one of the most notable dancers and he was like hanging on like every word that i was like saying about this comic and i was like i was like bro you got to read this this is like the best shit since world war hulk you know world war hulk and i'm like okay that's that's a whole another animal i'll tell you about later but like right now yeah you know i mean i'm like i'm like bro if you if you buy it it's worth the buy but you can also like go to a fucking public library and you'll be able to just get like the the trade paperback edition where you don't have to get like 47 comics it's all in like one big book and just read it all the way through man you're gonna dig it and then of course you know people walk up and go like yo was he like exchanging you know moves and ideas about like how to dance better and stuff i'm like no we fucking you know had a corn dog and talked about comic books for an hour those are the conversations i like having with yeah fucking prestige dancers right like you said there's a time and place for it right um, I like to say that majority of my conversations with, for example, Jardy, mm-hmm. Jardy Santiago are like, yeah, we talk about dance, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about other shit, right. like real estate, or we'll talk about his house, you know, like how much, how much the construction costs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about random shit. Technical bags and... Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> gosh damn, he spent a lot of money on his house. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, like those are the... Those are fun conversations right. to have because, I mean, you're we're already communicating through movement. Mm-hmm. Do I really need to know more? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see what you're doing. That's just me, right? Um, but again, I do like to know why you're doing it, yeah. like that, uh, as opposed to, oh, can you teach me that, right? And you know, there's like you said, there's a time and a place. So there might be a point where. Um, you have to have enough perception to like notice when this person is in the middle of like they're under the bar and they've got like 300 pounds that they're, they're trying to put up. You don't walk up to them and say, Hey, excuse me. I was wondering if you could like tell me, you know, how to um, um, improve my bench. Mm-hmm. They're in the middle of like, you know, bleeding out of their eyes in the pursuit <laughs> of this. And you're going to go ahead and jump in on that. Like uh, case in point, like I said in a previous podcast about um, when myself and Boogie B and M and Joe were all training together, and all of a sudden this young lady walked in, and she did not pick up on like it, at, at first I was trying to be polite, but eventually I was just like very very blunt and very very frank with her about it. I said, "Listen, I, I go, I know that you want to like learn how to bust a move, but we're all training right now." <laughs> You know, this is like walking up to somebody who's in the middle of doing like CrossFit, like box jumps and like squats and deadlifts and saying, hey, hey, excuse me. I was just wondering if um, if you can stop jumping up and down on that box for a second so you can show me how to become buff. It's like, okay, well, I've got an event that I'm training for right now. So talk to me after I'm like done puking. Okay. And then maybe I might be able to give you a little, like if I can muster a little bit of something, I'll, I'll be able to tell you. 
But in those particular cases, it's like it's like be respectful of a person's time. If you, and if you yeah. want to just converse, and you just want to shoot the shit. Tell a person too. Be like, hey, listen, I know that we're at session right now, and you probably want to get after it. But you know, sometime let's let's go grab a burger and just you know talk shop. I just want to talk about dance. Yeah, or you. like, what are you doing after this? What are you doing after this? You know, yeah. like, you want to go to Perkins and just you know talk about DJing or whatever. It's like cool, mm-hmm. you know. But oftentimes people want to like. Um, they, you know, they they want to do the the wrong type of work, in the the wrong type of environment, and yeah. you're like, okay, well, right now we're supposed to be doing drills, right? Or right now we're supposed to be working on like creativity, mm-hmm. and we're stopping that because you want to pursue, you know, more of a um, an intellectual um, stimuli for this. That's what uh, I love, you know, with the sport of golf, mm-hmm. with golf etiquette. Like there's no talking on right. the golf course, especially. Well, you can talk, but especially if someone's about to go up and swing, yeah, it should be completely silent. Mm-hmm. And like for example, because you haven't golf with me and mm-hmm. Steve yet or anyone, yeah. Like when somebody is holding on to a club mm-hmm. and is about to swing that motherfucker, whether it be like a putter or a driver, mm-hmm. you do not say a damn word. Right. Don't say a word. Don't walk over their line. Let them focus. Yeah. You know, because it's like they paid a lot of good money to be there yep. and they're trying, maybe, maybe they're trying to get something out of this. Right. You know, so that's why I like it. That's why I love about golf. When yeah. When dance is like, you got motherfuckers that just talk your ear out. Right. And shit. And I don't know, man. You know, maybe I'm just getting older and I'm becoming a grump. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I just can't stand motherfuckers that play too much. Yeah. That session. I'm like, look, dude, you drove here. You spent time to get here. Right. Why aren't you utilizing the time you have here? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like there's a time for, there's a cool down time, sure. Yeah. If you need a cool down, you know, and relax and mm-hmm. maybe do a little small chat, this and that. But if you're not here and if it's, if you're not focused on what is happening here mm-hmm. or have anything or talk about anything that has to do with what's going on here, then why are you, why are you, why are you here in the first place? Right. Like what's, what's your purpose here? Right. There's some people that show up at session where I'm like, what's your purpose here? Right. Like, and, uh, and you know, like, I don't want to just straight up ask him that because I'd rather have someone be at session than not. Right. You know, in terms of being safe because it's yep. a safe space. Mm-hmm. But look, if you're going to be there, do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do something for yourself. And, and also try to do, try to do the, the right types of things. I mean... You know, why pay money for a gym membership if all you're going to do is, like, walk around in spandex and, like, chill over by the water cooler and drink, you know, 14 gallons of uh, various, like, protein powders and shit, but you don't get under one weight. All right. You know, and there's people that do that. They, There was a guy that I remember from um, way back, um, I used to work at a health food store uh, part-time, and he used to come in and he would buy like every possible grade of protein powder the way that people would maybe buy like they're shopping for like comfortable socks. It's like, it's like he would be in one day and then like not three days later, he'd be back in buying like another 60 to a hundred dollar, you know, container of protein powder. And then, and, and he was always mixing and matching and complaining about how this doesn't work. That works. Oh, that was better. This is this. I'm like, well then why aren't you just ordering that online and having it sent to your house? And then one day it all clicked because um, I happened to have had the same gym membership, like the same uh, franchise that I was a part of that he was. And I went to 
um, the gym that was closest to my work that I never went to before. And this guy went there, which also made sense because every time he fucking came out to the health food store, he was always like wearing like a, like a lifting belt and he would have like the, you know, like the, uh, the the finger, the the fingertip, uh, list gloves and stuff. And he'd always just kind of have like this, like real, like, like he, he, he was a, he was a big guy, like tall. But he tried to, like, stand as if he was, like, a bodybuilder. He had, like, this, like, pose that he was always in. And I was like... He walked in the store like that? Yeah. And with, with his gear on? With his gear on. What and, a douche. Yeah. And <laughs> and I'm like... And, and I would just laugh because he would... He would also, like, he would hang out in the, in the shop. And he would basically sit there and wait until maybe somebody would walk in and go, like... Oh yeah, I was wondering if um if you had any like uh, branch chain amino acids. Then he'd be like, "Well, let me tell you about BCAAs because da 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 da." And I'm like, I'd just sit there and I'd like look at him, and he would just start talking. And then of course the guy, one of two things would happen: either the guy would be polite and go, "Oh yeah, that that's interesting. Okay, cool. You know, thank you, I appreciate that." Or he would kind of like stop and just like let the guy talk and talk and talk until finally he talked himself out, and then go. Anyway, um, so about those BCAAs, you'd be talking back to me again. Yeah. And the guy would go like, you know, and kind of give him like a fuckly look like, you know, well, fuck, bro. You don't have to be so like disrespectful. And then finally it all, like like I said, it all clicked when I went to that gym because he he would he would go between like talking to the personal trainers, to the water fountain, back to the personal trainers, over to like the tricep pull-down machine. He would like hold on to the tricep pull-down pull down machine and like be like looking over at some other people start talking with them. And I'm like, you did not do one fucking rep. You got more cardio than anything. Cause you just walked back and forth to all these places. <laughs> and I was so dumbfounded because, um, you know, like I, I've always, you know, put myself on blast because like when I go out to practice sessions, I, I like to converse with people and I like to connect and, you know, shoot the shit and stuff. But I also, know when it's go time to like you know put in work because i'm gonna go like i'm not gonna drive all the way out here and not practice something you know and maybe you know you you go out to some place and you kind of go like all right well i feel kind of gross today and you know maybe i'm not gonna like really dance intense Mm -hmm. but what i am gonna do is maybe work on flow or footwork concepts or maybe i'm just gonna like i'm just gonna putz around like loft and yeah. just you know mess around with stuff, yeah. You yeah. know, and and find find something and and like go with it. But when you sit there and you say, okay, you know, I, I pay, you know, this much for this membership. I've got forty seven different types of uh, protein powders. Um, you're getting ready to lift, and then like part way through, you stop because you got to take off your gloves and put on another pair of gloves that you got in your bag. It, it's like at, at this point, dude, you're just polishing the brass on the Titanic, mm-hmm. and it's going down. There's nothing you can fucking do because you lack the one thing which is, you know, discipline and, like, conviction. And you see that with, like, um, I always cite the Henry Rollins story um, that he has about Mr. Pepperman, about this guy who, you know, just basically told him that he was, like, just this skinny little, you know, pussy who's getting sand kicked in his face by everybody on planet Earth. And Mr. Pepperman just saw that this kid needed a rudder, he needed a direction. So he's like, take your money, tell your mama... To take you over to Sears and Roebuck, you're going to buy a 100-pound sand-filled weight set. And these are the lifts you're going to do. You know, and 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 Henry was, like, so, like, you know, taken aback by the fact that somebody, like, actually had interest in him to, like, want him to, like, 
like you know pursue something that was going to be like good for him that he did it and mr pepperman was basically like okay and this is the directive um you're not allowed to look at yourself in the mirror until i tell you and also i'm periodically when you least expect it i'm going to thump you in the chest <laughs> so henry would be like walking out of his class and all of a sudden mr pepperman was right there boom and just fucking put him right on the floor and everyone's like looking at henry down on the deck you know holding his chest and mr pepperman's just like yeah you know, and then like he would just like step over him and be like, "Have a good day, Henry." You know, and then finally it got to a point where he, you know, one day he's like out of walking down the hall, and all of a sudden Mr. P shows up and boom, hits him in the chest, and then Henry <laughs> laughed, and he goes, "That's very funny, Mr. Pepperman." You know, stop playing, and he goes, "Okay, Henry, now you can go look at yourself." And Henry like ran home, and it was like the it was like the Spider Man scene, like when Tobey Maguire first got bit, and he like woke up the next day, and he mm-hmm. was all just you know, ripped. Mm. Well, Henry was like, holy shit, dude, I've got like definition. And that, um, gave him a sense of ownership. And then of course that gives you like this, like level of pride and also responsibility. And then you say, well, if I can make this, then I can go, I wonder how far I can push this, how, how much further I can get, if I can get stronger, if I can get faster, if I can, you know, I'm only working out every day after school for, 45 minutes what if i what if i do an hour and a half mm. what if i eat better foods what if right. i you know start hitting like lower body in in stuff so like when i see people do that um oftentimes with like dance where dance is fun and it is um it is supposed to be you know something that you do like casually and like for like leisure but th- like if you're going to come out to a practice session and start hobnobbing like you're at the club it's like no, that's that's why we go to the club. Is so that, that way you can like sit up against the wall, have a drink, you can watch bullshit. A, you can bullshit. Have you know maybe you know you you twisted your ankle, so you're like oh, I'm just gonna sit here with Ty mm-hmm. and just like people watch right. and look at Ty <laughs> raise his eyebrow and fucking yeah. look at me with this kind of you know the the awkward Nacho Libre smile. Like mm-hmm. I can't believe that fucking person just did that. <laughs> did you see that? And I'm like yeah, I saw that. You know, yeah. and and then there's other times where it's like you know we go to session. And yeah, Ty's not talking to you because Ty is practicing. Yeah. You know, and those, those things are like, I think super important, um, points that also kind of help with like that feeling of this isn't work, but at the same time, if you're not going to have a level of discipline, you can never truly have ownership of what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, you're just, you're, you're resting off of your talent and eventually that's going to fade. You know, you're going to get older, your knees are going to go. You're going to get more tired. And then there's like other people who have this like ridiculous longevity. And, you know, like Tony Basil is a good example. You know, she's still fucking dancing. She's in her 70s. Yeah, she kills it. You know, and it's like, and the reason why is because she realizes that, you know, as long as she keeps like um, sharpening and like uh, polishing the sword, it's never going to get rusty. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's going to be like where she's, you know, on her last day on this planet and she's probably still going to be tapping her toes. You know, yeah. she can get down in house too. Yeah. And it's like, so I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's an important uh, factor to keep in mind about like, stop, you know, stop talking about it and start being about it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise get out of the fucking way. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, it's, it's really simple. It's not rocket science. Right. Just do the work. Right. That's it. Do the work, stay humble mm-hmm. and do the work. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the formula. And it's, uh, it's nice when, when it's like when you do get the results because that actually kind of reinforces the work. You say, okay, so now now that I'm seeing results, um, 
I'm going to keep at this. Yeah. Whereas some people, because they, they keep, um, they, they never fully commit and they lack conviction. So they doubt that what they're doing is making an impact. They go, well, you know, I feel so tired though. I don't feel like any, like, I don't feel like my stamina is getting any better. And I'm like, well, it's because you came out to this last session and you danced for 10 minutes and then I haven't seen you for three sessions. So maybe in those three sessions um, that have passed, you haven't been dancing for three whole weeks. Yeah, what are you doing? What are, what are you doing at home or something? Yeah, what, what are you doing in the interim? <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, and then there's like other times where I'm kind of going like I realize that you know I spent most of the day at work sitting on my ass because that's what the job requires. So I come out to session, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing burpees as part of my warm up. I'm going out and I'm running up and down the stairs as part of my warm up. I'm bringing my jump rope and I'm working on that. Or again, you know, I'm doing like line drills that you're, you're having me work on and stuff because I'm like, I got to get after it because I, I literally sat for eight hours. Well, I mean, I think you have, well that too, but you also have, you have intention. Mm-hmm. Like you actually want to represent yourself well mm-hmm. when you do decide to travel overseas yeah, or when the world permits. Right. You know, like that's, that's the thing. Right. And my next question now is how does someone find validation in house dancing? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's such like a, it's such a fucking, what is it? Like a free spirited dance where right. even though if there are competitions, mm-hmm. people don't want to like see the real side of it and want to deny that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so for those people that don't, you know, that don't feel like house belongs in the competitions, how do you get validation? Mm-hmm. You know, like, me, that's how I get validation. Like right. how well did I do in this competition? And, it, and it's not necessarily judging like, okay, did I make it to the top 16? Mm-hmm. That's just the cherry on top. It's right. more so, did I feel good about what I did? Yeah. Like, did I dance good to this music? Right. You know, I, that's the validation that I get. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder now, like how other people get their validation in house dancing. I mean, you know, you think about it, like they, they always say, and it beca- it's become such a cliche that I think that people don't stop, like that they're just numb to the phrase. But like when they when they talk about like, um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or lose; it's how you played the game. I always ask myself that, like, how did I play the game? Did I come out here and completely half-ass it? It was like a lesson that I I went back and I listened to one of the older podcasts um, when we were talking to, um, I think we were talking to Tonic. And I was recalling, um, and it wasn't Slick City. It was, uh, well, yeah, it was Slick City One. And when I went to Slick City One, my biggest regret was the fact that I didn't, um, I didn't give it my all at the event itself. Um, I mean, I did okay. I mean, shit, I, I even made it for like a snippet, like a second in the trailer. You know, I was, I was like, "Oh shit, that was that was dope." Because I didn't expect that. Like, I didn't even think I did anything that was worth, you know, bringing back and like editing and cutting and putting into the trailer for that. So that was dope. But um, I, I really, I mean, I, I was not even like, I wasn't even like a, a glimmer of getting past uh, the uh, the prelims, right? And it wasn't until the after party that people recognized me. You know, and especially you know, like. Like Wacko was like, what the fuck is this guy on, you know, and making him crack up and, um, 
you know, just having a good time with, with y'all and stuff. But then everybody else in Shy Tribe was like, damn, Styles, how come you didn't do that at the event? You know, and I was like, I thought about it. And I was like, well, part of it was because I put, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And when I put that amount of pressure on me, I don't dance from the heart. I dance more conservatively, which can be problematic because then you're, you're, you're never letting both barrels fly. You're always hoping that, you know, you go, okay, well, I don't want to waste too much energy because I want to, I want to, you know, make it to like the, the next level. It's like that from that point on, I said, fuck it. There is no next level. There's no second round. There's just now. There's no tomorrow. There's only this present moment. So if I don't give a thousand percent of of my effort and my time, then I do not belong in this circle. And that also transferred over to a lot more of like the cipher awards that I was winning. Like there there was a there was a stint where it was like I, I just kind of like like how you were saying like you you question your validation in the scene because I wasn't winning anything. And, and I'm going like, okay, do I even really belong here? People come up and say, oh yeah, Turnstile from Minnesota and stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know. I, don't, I didn't even honestly feel like I should even be mentioned like as much as I would want to. I was like, I, I haven't fucking done anything. And then there was this weird run where all, all of a sudden, like everything that I was going to, I was like winning Cypher Awards, you know? And I was just like, the fuck? And I was winning like all styles uh, competitions or doing very well in them um, at least and making it to like semis or finals. And it was because um, I just started putting forth like maximum effort and I took myself seriously, mm-hmm. not so much to the point where, where I was ready to like fall on my sword if I, if I lost, but I could look back and say, well, you know what, man, I, I went in there and I, I, I left it all on the, on the floor. You gave it your best. And, and that's yeah. all you can ever that's do. That's all you could do. Right. So, and that's what you really, I think, as, as for every, any dancer that's listening to this, you really have to be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and say, did I give it my best? Right. And if you didn't, man, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, besides, you know, going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, well, now at least I know, like, there's a, um, this is quant, uh, it, now this is quantified, right? It's like now I know what I did wrong because I, you know, wasn't dancing on beat or I got tired midway through my round or I threw all my tricks in like the first, you know, like right. five seconds of, of my round. And then after that, I didn't know what to do. Right. And then I just bullshitted the rest of the thing. Yeah. And and then you say, okay, now I now I know where I, where I stand. And uh-huh. then you say, okay, so next time I'm not going to, you know, do some stupid ass gimmick. I'm not going to like, you know pull a rabbit out of my sleeve or do a backflip and almost like eat it right there on the dance floor or whatever. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to say, well, I need, I need to actually like anticipate that I'm going to be able to finish my round. Well, yeah. You know, and, and house dancing too, battle wise, first and first and foremost thing that every dancer should do if Mm -hmm. they're entering a house competition is listen to the fucking music. Yep. Fuck the tricks, fuck Mm -hmm. the moves, fuck all, fuck all the technique that you learned from me. You have to listen to the music. Yep. You listen, you get that part down first and man, you have to get it down fast. Right. You only have seconds. Yep. That's why I'm in some of my classes. I teach, listen, I have listening sessions, like Mm -hmm. listening, uh, exercises. Yeah. Cause it's like people wonder like, how do you, how, how do you get your musicality? So, Mm -hmm. so good. Like, cause I train my fucking ear. I listen to the music. I, I break everything down within seconds. Mm -hmm. And then once I find the pattern, I'm like, there it is. Got it. Yep. You know? So 
I think if you're gonna enter a house competition, listen to the damn music, man. Like yeah. if again, fuck all the tricks. Right. The tricks are just like the cherry on top. It's the crowd pleasers. You know what I mean? For me, it's the it's to make the girls the 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 ladies smile. You know? Or or it's also like people will mistake. Like they, um, you see this a lot in like all styles competitions where if a house song drops, oh, yeah, I'm actually do house. <laughs> they they start actually doing house techniques. Yeah. And I was um, this last week when I subbed for you, um, there were a couple of uh, crumpers that were that were there at the at the class that participated, and then afterwards they stayed because there was going to be a crump session. And I remember I was having a conversation with one of them, and I said. I said, like, because I was, because one of the main points that I was doing in the cipher, um, the cipher lesson um, in class was I was like, now I go, you guys obviously crump, so I, you don't necessarily have to do house to house music because house was ne- there was never like a rule that said that you have to dance this particular way. It was just what brought it was what was being brought out of people by the by the music, mm-hmm. but they were bringing dis- disciplines that were not nailed down yet or considered part of like the curriculum like you know somebody who's doing a pot of beret because they just got out of like tap class in you know or uh ballet at like juilliard and now they're clubbing over at you know the gallery or something so they were like they were doing stuff that they already know how to do and then people go oh that's dope okay and then that becomes part of the the kind of the vernacular and the the foot curriculum right and um so i said um i said like figure out like with the music like how would you crump to this and they were kind of like looking at me like, uh, I don't know. I don't think I can crump to this. And I'm like, that's bullshit. And then it was funny because then later on, they started playing crump music. And it was like really slow and like drawn out and like broken rhythms and stuff. And I said, here, I'll show you how I would house dance to this. And I just fucking went off. Mm-hmm. And like Meng was like sitting there and he was just like, oh shit, oh shit. you know. And then this dude was just looking and he was going, the fuck? He's like, I didn't think that you could like like you i see that there's like rhythm but what's weird is that you're the way that you're actually dancing to this it's like it makes sense but you're not actually dancing directly to the rhythmic pattern that this song has and i said yeah i said because crump it's like you know you're going to have techniques and things that you do because of like the attitude and the fact that it's a lot more drawn out and like slower or there's like more staccatos and like crashes and like different things like in the in the song so that's where people are going to be like bucking and they're going to be, you know, doing all kinds of like stuff with their body. But, you know, I don't have that. I, I can't like just stand there and do like a whole bunch of attitude. So I have to add what I know, which would be, you know, footwork or it might be um, fu- like listening and then going like, OK, so like every every so like every so often there's going to be like this like this splash on the symbol. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a point where I'm going to hit like a really, really crazy elaborate footwork pattern and then like jump or kick or like heel clap on the, sp- on the splash of the, the thing. And everyone goes, oh, shit, you know, like and that was like a nice little uh, surprise. It's like a like a blow up in uh, in breaking, you know, when a person would like, you know, just do a rollback and then boom, they blow up like right when the when the track like kind of called for it. And then he was like. He was like, "Okay, I, I see you. I see you. I, I get it." You know, and I said, "Yeah." I said, "You know, we can, we can kind of dance to whatever. If if you're a good dancer, I mean, shit, you can, you know, you can find a way to house dance to classical music." Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I'm like, shit, if, if ballet can do it, and you and you definitely see that ballet doesn't try to, like, there's not, like, a repetitive beat to a lot of things in, you know, classical music, right? There's not, like, a rhythm that just goes, you know, like, steady throughout the entire way. So, like, so in ballet, they can do a lot more with their presentation. You know, the person can, like, take a few steps and, like, look off into the distance and point at something and then do a technique mm-hmm. and then do, you know, a pirouette and then, you know, land and then do this and do that. And it's like, and for house, we can do the same type of shit, right? You could sit there and say, okay, well, there's nothing going on in this part of the song, so I'm going to fill the empty space with a scribble foot and then hit the floor real quick, uh, dolphin dive, come back up, toe touch, and then stop on a dime because the, the song stops at a certain point. And everyone goes, yo, that you added like nuance to something that we didn't think you could do with house. So, you know, we, we all have the ability to do it. I think that it's just, again, it's... Uh, like like Musashi said, you know, it's like um, once you've once you've learned the way, you start to see the way in all things. Mm. You know, you say, "Oh, I my swordsmanship can exist in cooking as well as it can in art, as well as it can in flower arranging, as well as it can in driving my car down the street." You know, you can figure out like how how does my sword play transfer to these other skills. And then, of course, you excel at those, too. People go, damn, I didn't know that you were so good at golf. And it's like, well, yeah, because you work your ass off at dance for long enough. Now you know how to focus and commit to different skills and perfect. And then finally you say, oh, yeah, this is just like with dance. This is just like when I couldn't get that one footwork pattern down. I just decided to like lock myself in my room for a day and said, you're not allowed to leave until you get this on beat. I think if you, you know? do anything that has determination... That mm-hmm. involves the termination, you're fine. Yeah. You know, it could be sports, it could be dance, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's why it's important. I think it's important for anyone to go into any type of field that requires a lot of determination. Yeah. Physical determination, because, man, you learn so much from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I think we should wrap it yeah. up. We haven't had a long podcast like this in a minute. No. So it's pretty good. Yep, yep. So with that being said, uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Styles and Dress. And we will talk to you soon. Peace, y'all. Peace. Your love got me beating up tempo. Hey, lady, just a little info. Got my heart beating up tempo. Got my heart beating up tempo. Your love got me beating up tempo. Yo, pretty girl, pretty girl, pretty girl. In these flash shoes, let me please rock your world. Baby got me feeling like Michael Jackson. Action, got her singing like Tony Braxton. Air guys that make your reflexes go I can give you that feel good and you already know It's the man Louis P, you don't need no joke Cause you my drug, I feel you every time that you hug me No worries, just a homie that ain't ready We got a winner, go ahead throw the confetti The turn is to twerk, your booty like jelly But you a lady, no need for indecency Here it is how the party, you wanna rave But you my appetite, you gotta tend to crave Give you the world, uh, the planet earth is your bed And we can make love on top of Mount Everest Hey lady, it's just a little info You got my heart beating up tempo you got my heart beating up tempo You love got me beating up tempo Hey lady, just a little info You got my heart beating up tempo You got my heart beating up tempo You love got me beating up tempo